1: Welcome to another episode of the Tradies in Business podcast. Now, I'm flying solo for the intro. I think uh, Coxie's brain got a bit overheated after today's episode <laughs> talking about the BIF Act, B-I-F. And if you don't know what the BIF Act is, as the title of this episode suggests, you really need to go and f- figure it out. Uh it's it's incredibly important if you are doing any work in the building and construction industries. Uh, if you're a subby, if you're a builder, if you're working for a primary contractor, then this has some pretty serious implications for you, and it can actually make a big difference to your business. So, um, we actually interviewed a lawyer today who specialises in construction law, and um, and actually sat on a government review panel, I think. Uh, sorry to Fiona, today's guest, if I got that wrong, but um, was definitely involved in the consultation process around having a look at the the legislation and how it would play out for you, for tradies. So uh, have a listen to today. It's definitely worth your time and uh, exposing your ears to some legal stuff. Uh, it can get a little confusing, but um Basically, if you listen all the way to the end, uh, it'll make a lot more sense. I was gonna take the opportunity to hang a bit of uh, hang a bit of crap on Coxie, given that she's not here for this uh, this intro and Coxie, you're safe. I thought I'd do the right thing. I'd be a noble co-host and uh, and I wouldn't tell people some of the uh, the deep dark secrets of uh, what goes on here in the studio so uh enjoy today's episode now listen to the end because uh fiona from hson reed uh does actually make a special offer just for listeners um so they have some courses to help you get your head around the whole bifact thing um so if you listen to the end you'll get the details for that and as always um we love hearing from you so go uh hit us up in the group tradies in business on facebook or go to the website tradiesinbusiness.com.au there's a cool little voice recorder thingy on the on the home page i'm dying for someone to send us a question via that so uh Go and if, if you if you want to get your voice on the podcast, if you want to be semi-famous like Ed Ray from McKellar Electrical, talking to us about his Sydney to Hobart race, how cool was that? That was a cracking episode. Such an such an amazing story. I just love it when people share honestly with us. So um, if you want to be like Ed, you don't have to have a whole episode, but uh, we'll play your little voice note go to the the homepage on the website, tradiesinbusiness.com.au and record us a little uh, voice message question or just just send us a g'day and uh, yeah, tell us who you are and and we'll play it on the next episode. So uh, anyway, strap yourself in for some legal stuff today. Find out what on earth is the BIF Act. All right, so Fiona from Atchison Reed, uh, welcome to the Tradies in Business podcast. Great to have you with us today.
2: Welcome, Fiona. Thank you, and
0: um, it's great to be here.
1: Now, uh, we've just literally finished uh, discussing my distaste for bio-reading and uh, (laughs) introducing guests in a way that is boring as a proverbial. Um, So, uh, Fiona, can you give our listeners a bit of an idea of... You know, did you just like wake up one day as a as a ten year old girl and decide you wanted to be a lawyer, or was there a bit of a journey involved in uh, getting to this stage?
0: Um. Yes. Well, that's it is. A, <laughs> it's a very long story, actually. So I'll try and keep it as quick and as interesting as possible. <laughs> so, um, when I uh, left school, I um I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I think I was probably like everybody else. I had no idea. What uh, what I wanted to do, and I um, I'm a bit of a nerd, and I'm completely <laughs> open about it. I'm a
3: complete nerd. <laughs> um,
0: um, I absolutely loved science, and I loved English, um, and also art. So I had I kind of like I could roundabout do what I wanted to do. So I tried to find as many things I could do at the same time at university. So I could fit in architecture and law together. I also tried to get in engineering. Wow. design, but I couldn't fit those in. Yeah, right. So, um, so I did um, architecture, intermediate, and first year law in my first year at university, and um, and I thought, you know, how will I know what an architect does? Because I've never, you know, you don't do architecture at school, and my school was a very small um, girls' school, so we didn't even have tech drawing. so I didn't even know how to draw on the drawing board. And then I thought, well, I don't even know what law is really like. I mean... I've done English, but it's not very
3: helpful,
0: <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, what if um, what if I do both and one will pick me, and I got to the end of first year, and I had got into law school uh, for second year, and I'd also got into a teacher, and I was like, oh, what do I do, and then I thought, what if I combined it? What if I did law and building science? And so I went to the, you know, the, the careers person at the architecture school and she said, you know, that's the first time that they've had someone come and want to do it. And there was actually two of us. So there is a bit of a story behind that is I'm hideously competitive. Um, <laughs> especially if there's a boy involved. So the other person who wanted to do building science and law, it was the first time anyone was doing it. There were two of us and one was a boy. And he happened to be like, you know, a rugby player, and you know, yeah, one yeah. of the like, <laughs> yep. that was it. That was the writing on the wall. I did everything I could to be the first person. So I oh, did summer school. I did twice as many credits, you know, more credits than I was supposed to be doing, just to make sure. And I actually probably did him by about a year. But um,
3: well done. But no, that's,
0: that's kind of that's kind of the backstory. But um, what it meant was that I could bring in my love of art with architecture and design, and I can bring in my science, my love of science, but also bring in the, the legal side. And, and what I found out is because I thought, you know, I'd be – what will I be? i still kind of tossing out. And I just love law, to be honest. It was really my home I found out mm. um, because especially especially the type of law that a construction lawyer does because it's very um, – it's quite rigid. It's a bit like science. You know, you go through a, a problem-solving exercise. Mm. So um, – and i would have to say that construction lawyers are a bit like tax lawyers in a way that we we have to be very particular we Mm -hmm. have to be and um and that kind of suits my science background so Mm. and it's a beautiful way because every trade is really carrying out science experiments every day Mm. i mean that's (laughs) that's what they're doing and not just with their
3: lunch no
0: (laughs) but it's you know their what and when we get into you know a dispute or something and we I'm talking to a subcontractor, I have to know their trade and I have to know it fast because I've got to understand their trade and be able to explain it in plain English to um, somebody who might not be so we often don't know with an adjudicator mm. whether they're um, they've got a, um, a you know a, a construction background or not we don't know if they're a lawyer we don't know if they're a quantity that. So, our role is very much to make it into plain English. So, I see myself often as like a storyteller or a translator, being able to translate everything into plain English because I actually had no idea what my decision maker, what background they have. So, I, I have to make sure they understand it. It's
2: a cool. really interesting way to frame out what it is that you do.
1: Yeah. Because I'll... I'll I guess it's, uh, you've already spoken to it a little bit, Fiona, but when I hear about construction law, I actually think, well, what is that? Like, what does it mean to be a construction lawyer or, you know, to specialize in building and construction law? Um, And I suspect a lot of people uh, (laughs) listening would have the same um, lack of clarity about what's involved in that field. So, like, why would someone go and see a construction lawyer?
0: Okay, so a construction, it's a, it's a beautiful question because it's a question I get asked all the time. In fact, loads of people say to me, I didn't even know they existed. Mm.
3: <laughs> and, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and there are a whole pile of it. So um, what construction law is, it is the law relating to construction on site. So it is, we go and look at all the contracts that are involved in construction. So we're looking at... Firstly, the contract between the developer and the head contractor, and then the head contractor with all the subcontractors. And of course, then you have sub-subcontractors. So that's in a commercial, or even a res- residential build, you would have that with the homeowner. So we look at all those different contracts, and, and with that, there's two parts to what we call it, and it sounds a bit rude. It's the front end and the back end. Mm-hmm. The front end is the contract drafting and it's the pre-contract advice. And to be honest, that's the space I like to be in most, because we're being proactive, we're saving people money, um, and we can make a real difference there. Um, but however, um, and I learned this very early on in starting my own practice, often people don't come to you unless they have a problem. Mm-hmm. And they don't think about all the problems they could have until mm-hmm. they have a problem. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's why, despite not really wanting the practice originally to be um, doing disputes, um, we do do disputes, and we do a lot of them. So um, as you can imagine, each connection, each transaction you have, whether it's from the principal to the head contractor or the head contractor down to a subbie, each one has the potential for something to go wrong, whether it's a mm. payment issue or it's to do with the, the materials that they're using or it could be just something environmental like a latent condition, you know, you could have um, terrible weather and issues be caused on site. So it's all mm. of those things, but it's also the connection that with. Um, so if we looked at the apps that I deal with. I also deal with the QBCCA, so that's the Queensland Building Construction Commission Act, and what that has is a whole pile of things about licensing as well. So we do deal with licensing and we have helped people get their licenses back as well. Um, And of course now uh, the other acts are far more regulated, so we're involved with that too.
1: Yeah, right. I guess it's it's human nature that we disagree about things. And, you know, when you start looking at businesses and uh, contracts and that sort of stuff, I do I do wonder sometimes, it's like, how come there are so many disputes? You know, like y- you look at the number of, of just commercial lawyers, not even specializing in construction, to see that there must be a lot of people arguing about a lot of things. And uh, I guess I think about building and construction law, I think, what are people disagreeing about? You know, isn't it in the contract? So what are some of the most common uh, arguments that people have, Fiona?
0: Um, Often it is that they don't know what's in their contract. That can often be an issue. Um, There there was an old culture of sign the contract and put it in the the bottom drawer and never see it again. And that's kind of because I'm, I'm... so old <laughs> when I started in construction, which is in two thousand and two. Um, that was that that culture was ending when I started. So that was the culture that you know I, I got to meet those guys who did everything on a handshake, and um, and things just got built that way. Mm. Um, and they were beautiful. They were just beautiful guys. Um, unfortunately, what was coming through at the same time was a wave of um, people who are a bit slicker who uh, wanted to rely on the contract that um, they knew that other guys wouldn't read and, mm. um, and they tied them up a knot. So a lot of it is about, I, I would say, part of it is about miscommunication mm-hmm. and that's a reason for people not understanding with disputes or misunderstanding their contractual obligations. Or You can often, and you can have this with two lawyers, we can have one clause and one will swear black and blue it serves one thing and one will swear it to something else. Mm. So um, I think it, often people interpret different things different ways. Um, the disputes I think that get the, are the worst are when it's friends and family. Yes, mm. And those are the worst because, you know, you have a mate and they say, oh, can you do this for me? You go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah but you don't actually communicate properly. You don't communicate how you normally would with someone you were going to contract with. And what normally happens is you don't have anything in writing, or if you do, it has nothing to do with what you actually agreed. Mm. Um, And then it goes pear-shaped because both parties have completely different ideas about what you agreed to. Mm. So um, that would be my big thing for your listeners, (laughs) doing anything for friends and family. Actually try and be even more careful with your paperwork because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you don't want those relationships to fall apart no. just because you have a misunderstanding. Um, and, and so, yes, yeah, so a lot of it is to do with misunderstandings. Um, unfortunately the construction industry has had some really unscrupulous players, um, especially in the commercial space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that has caused a lot of pain for subbies. And, and that's partially why we, we say we are Subby lawyers. We, um, we don't play in the builder space so much. It's not that we don't think there are great builders out there. There are there's some beautiful builders out there who pay their subbies on time, who um, who just do what they say they're going to do. And and basically, those are the builders I wish every subcontractor could work for. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen all the time. And, um, and there are games that are played. You know, People make mistakes and rather than taking responsibility for their mistakes, they pass those mistakes down to the subcontractors. Mm. And, um, and that's where it really hurts because, you know, it's, it's small families who yeah. don't have the ability to deal with or the financial means to deal with the risks that they have.
1: Mm. How much ownership do you think subbies need to take for playing in that space in the first place?
0: Uh, Now, this is probably something that you're you're actually on a very good point. Um, As much as I um, I advocate for subcontractors, and I believe that subcontractors have had a rough deal, Mm. I also truly believe that subcontractors have a responsibility to read their contracts and to actually know how to enforce payments. And um, I have (laughs) been known in front of study groups to say things like, but this act, which is our new piece of legislation, is not fairy dust. Mm. It is not going to sprinkle payment on all subcontractors. No, they actually need to know how the act works and what, um, how you enforce it, mm. because there are very strict timeframes. Even though they've been extended, and it, it, the timeframes are much better than they used to be, but we're talking about you know four weeks, six weeks at the maximum that they need to take action. Now, frequently, we'll have subcontractors come to us with a six-month-old debt.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we're going, well, by now, our hands are very much tied. We had so many things we could do for you if you'd come to us within a couple of weeks. Mm. There was, you know, we have so many avenues. You could be looking at suspending works if it's a debt due. We could be enforcing um, an adjudication with a quick-fire adjudication, have a, you know, almost have a judgment debt within, say, six, seven weeks. But we we can't do that six months down the track. We're we're stuck with the, you know, the old um, way that everyone else actually has to deal with in in the commercial world, which is going to court, going and filing a statement of claim and a claim with, say, the mags court, and um, and then waiting for the other side, because of course they're going to bring up a dispute, waiting for them to bring up a dispute, and well, lo and behold, we're in court for years. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's the whole purpose of security payment was to avoid that. But you're absolutely right. That subcontractors actually need to take action mm. early. Otherwise, all of these beautiful and I like to call them power tools, all these beautiful power tools, they can't use them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. They're just yep. not
0: available to them.
1: Yep. And it's um, sorry, Nicole. Nicole and I were just recording some video before we uh, we did our interview, Fiona, um, for the t- the trade desk where we were talking about you know what to do when you can't pay your own bills and one of the things that people do sadly is stick their head in the sand and leave it go for so long and it actually gets worse and I suppose it's it's related to this same issue where if you're not getting paid by um you know the contractor by the builder you do need to take ownership of that and and do something proactive about it rather than just kind of let it drag out cuz often you can miss out on the opportunity to to do something about it, particularly now with the new BIF Act.
0: Definitely. Actually, I've got something really, um, I suppose, really important for your listeners to hear about debts that they owe, um, which is that under the BIF Act, now if you're purchasing materials or um, related construction goods Mm -hmm. uh, or you're purchasing construction work, so your subcontractors, or, your, um, or related services, which could be hiring, hiring equipment or, or having a design, say you do landscaping and you get a landscape designer.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You, um, if you receive an invoice, that could be a payment claim now under the BIF Act because they don't need to say this is a payment claim anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you're receiving an invoice, it could be a payment claim. And if it's a payment claim and you don't pay by the due date, and you don't send a payment schedule within 15 business days, there are two things you are now responsible for. One, you are liable for the entire amount of that debt, and two, you can be fined by QBCC Mm. Just for not sending that payment schedule.
2: So I actually think no. this, this whole act is really confusing for subcontractors. I feel that it's a, an area that we've all looked at some of the education and I'm going to say that quite loosely because that education really wasn't targeted for the most part. I think in a way that most tradies are going to be able to relate to and I feel yeah. that some, you know it's a question that we're asked so frequently. Many tradies don't understand the BIF Act and how they can use the BIF Act to their... Advantage Is that something that you could briefly talk us through, Fiona?
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I completely agree. I, I, keep, I feel that, um, and for those of your listeners listening, um, I was actually involved in the government's evaluation panel of the BIS Act. So um, I was part of the four, four people that were appointed by the minister to look at the BIS Act. Um, and as part of that, we got to go around the state talking to people and finding out what they know. Um, and I would definitely say um, there is a massive part of our construction community um, that does not understand the effects. And it's, it's really concerning because there's two parts to it, as a trace, so if you are a, um, a subcontractor, you would have normally always thought of yourself as a claimant. And so I would say, so you had your claimant hat on and you were always a claimant. And so you always thought security payment was about you. It's all about you getting paid. However, it's now also that subcontractor can be a payer. So I always say they've got their payment payer hat on. And that means they don't just need to know their obligations as a claimant. They need to know it as a payer as well. Uh, And and that causes a lot of confusion for subcontractors because a lot of them, Never use security of payment because they're like, oh, but I've got these great relationships. I don't want to rely on it Now that under the the act it's pretty much made mandatory So not only do you need to know about it, it's mandatory. So it's happening anyway And on top of that, you're going to be a payer as well So yes, there is a lot more that everyone needs to know If you go back to my analogy of it being like a power tool So you've got this power tool and it's fantastic. Um, so you can think of like the best chainsaw you've ever imagined. It's just fantastic, and they've just upgraded your chainsaw. And on top of that, you need to know how everyone knows that if their chainsaw's been upgraded, they need to know how it works and how to you know, have their PPE on and have all their safety equipment. They need to know how it works and to keep themselves safe. This is exactly the same as a BIFAC, apart from one thing now that it's mandatory, it's like your chainsaw is on and there's no off button. So it's kind of like you if you don't have your PPE on, you're going to get hurt.
3: <laughs>
0: so it's mm. really important to make sure that you understand how this act works. So we do have an online course that um, can help all of your listeners with it. Um, and in that, I go over everything for a person who has never done security payment and doesn't understand. So I take them through every step. Mm. But to give you a bit of an understanding really quickly, security of payment is all about encouraging communication between the parties. So with your claim or your invoice, it's supposed to have information on it so that the person paying you understands what they're paying for. Mm. And if the other side has a dispute, they send a the payment schedule and that is supposed to say, not only how much they intend to pay you, but also identify how much, identify your invoice, and also say the reasons why they refuse to pay. You.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that's all about encouraging communication, and I think we could probably agree that construction industry as a whole is not great at communicating, <laughs> and this was kind of to force them through this whole communication thing, so that they would be able to people would understand what was going on because if you understand the basis of a dispute, often that's all you need to sort it out. Mm -hmm. The next part about it is then giving consequences. So I said one before, that if you don't give a payment schedule now, if you don't tell your reasons, you don't pay, there's a consequence to the QBCC fine and you're liable for that whole amount. Mm -hmm. The other consequences are the enforcement rights that a claimant has. So they are, if you've got a debt due, you can, suspend, you can give a notice to suspend work. If you've got a debt due, you can go to court, but you have to give a warning notice first within 20 business days. Or you can go to adjudication within 30 business days. So you can see the time frame, how quick they are, 20 business days, 30 mm. business days. If you've got a dispute, so say that payment schedule says a whole pile of reasons why they don't want to pay you, you um, then you go off to adjudication and that's an extremely fast and efficient way of getting a dispute resolved. If you imagine, you know, before I think, you know, you're know you looking at a couple of years in court to get a dispute sorted out, yeah. and that's if you're lucky. Um, with adjudication, you're looking at about six weeks unless the adjudicator requests through the time. So that's for a standard payment claim as well. Complex payment claims, which are over $750,000. They, uh, they can be a bit longer. Mm. If we're just talking about standard payment claims, you are talking about six weeks. That's it's, insanely fast.
1: It's not long. I know people that don't even put invoices in <laughs> <laughs> inside of six weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it, it's fast-track, and the whole idea is about getting cash flow because I imagine you guys are talking to your tradies about cash flow all the time. Cash yeah. flow is 10. Yep. So this is... Act is completely reflecting that that saying: cash flow is king. Let's get the cash down. Let's Mm. get it down as quickly as we can because we don't want to starve the people at the bottom
3: Mm.
0: of cash flow. Because originally, the way that these um, projects used to happen is that that's exactly what happened. They got starved. We had paid when paid, so that that's another issue that a lot of people still don't seem to understand: paid when paid is illegal mm. so you cannot say to someone i'm not going to pay you because i haven't been
1: paid
2: <laughs> yes
1: it's, it. It. it's not a reason to do it legally or morally no. even you know it's it's not no, my fault exactly. that you can't run your cash flow properly
0: exactly so if somebody hasn't paid you you're still responsible to pay the person down the line mm-hmm. um now that could and i have heard this from builders and from subcontractors so everyone is guilty of of saying this at times to those people who that um, they pay, so
3: yeah, yep,
0: it's really important that they
2: understand that. Yeah, I'm just in listening to you, Fiona. I'm wondering: is this a process that a subcontractor can do themselves, or do they need to have a lawyer involved in the process if they have a dispute, or if they need to go and to the adjudicator? Is is do they have to have someone involved, or is this designed in a way that a subcontractor can actually take care of it themselves?
0: So if we just look at adjudication, which is I think what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. the dispute, Um, adjudication is designed for subcontractors to do themselves. Mm -hmm. However, we have found, and um, there are um, QBCC statistics on this, that there have been a lot of adjudication applications that have failed going into the registry, and and that's often from subcontractors or claimants Putting in applications and not quite understanding the law.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Not quite doing their applications well enough that they are successful. So what we've actually put together uh, as a practice is a kit or a pack of um, four adjudications. So basically they get all the templates from us in an hour of our time to check everything. And the reason for being that is because a lot of the adjudications are under 25,000.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's just not economic for them to get legal advice. So we tried to think of a way that we could make it still kind of lead everyone onto the right track, but they didn't have to pay legal fees for it. So that, yeah. and I think it's about fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars for that pack, uh, including an hour of our time, and it's 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 a pack that can be used over and over again. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's a way that people can uh, still do adjudication and still have um kind of have some feeling like they know what they're doing. I like
1: to say it's adjudication paint by numbers. Mm. My paint by numbers were awful when I was a kid. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Uh, Fiona,
2: can I throw a bit of a hypothetical at you? Sorry, was for cutting you off. No, it's okay. You do it all the time. I know, yeah. No, actually, I don't. No, I cut you off. Yes, all the time. (laughs) You wanted to say something, Nicole? Sorry,
1: Fiona, we're just doing a slapstick routine here. (laughs) We're making law fun.
2: Yes. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about somebody I was speaking to recently and this person is a subcontractor. They're a carpentry subcontractor and they were working with – it's a very complex situation. So I'm just going to do a smoother, more hypothetical situation. they were working with a builder and there was a workplace health and safety um, audit done on the site and the subcontractor decided he no longer felt safe working for that builder. And wouldn't return to site. So the builder terminated their, um, I guess, terms of employment or, or contract. I don't think the contract was very strong. Where I'm leading to here is he's then sent an invoice, a final invoice to the builder who has for the last month refused to pay. In that sort of situation, um, given that I haven't given you all of the details, how do, what does the subcontractor do now? What's the first thing that they need to do to... Um, correctly enact the act. Okay, okay. So the
0: very first thing that they need to do, and it's something I haven't talked to you about so far, is firstly they need to know their reference date. Now mm-hmm. it sounds like a really benign kind of thing, but it's the date from which you're entitled to send your payment claim. So under the act, if the contract has been terminated, you do get a reference date. So the next thing is I've got my reference date, okay, I can, send, I can now send my payment claim. Mm-hmm. So um, so the next thing would be to send a payment claim or an invoice, make sure it fulfills all the requirements which are a request for payment, state the claimed amount, and also identify the construction work. So make sure all of those things are on it. Then serve it on the payer. Now that could be often in the contract. Mm -hmm. If it's not in the contract, it's important to remember that sometimes in those cases, email is not a way that you can serve. So at the moment, we've got a bit of a hiatus. The, the, currently, the Act says that email um, is only available if in the contract. Okay. If you have a kind of like a behaviour, you probably could argue it, but it's always better to just use post or mm. the other methods. So if sure. you can use post hand delivery or fax, believe it or not, that's included. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so you serve it on the other side, and then they have 15 business days to raise a dispute, mm-hmm. and that's for the payment schedule. So you get your payment schedule back, and it sounds like more than likely this person will get a payment schedule back, and that will say, identify their payment claim, it will state how much they want to pay, and it will also say the reasons. mm mm-hmm. the Thing about the reasons is, if they go to adjudication, if your your e decides to go to adjudication, they already know those are the only reasons that payer can bring up an adjudication. Uh huh. So if their reasons are terrible, it's gold.
3: Yes. Basically.
0: Mm-hmm. So um. So then your um. Then from the. Now, if they do receive a payment schedule, it's 30 business days from receiving the payment schedule to go to adjudication and mm-hmm. make an application and file it with QBCC. If they don't get a payment schedule, it's 30 business days from the due date for payment. Right. So there are timeframes that they've got to, to do these applications in. Mm-hmm. Um, then, um, then the adjudicate, then, so the payer will have 10 business days to make a response. hmm and as I said if they don't if they don't raise a payment schedule they can't raise any issues
3: mm-hmm.
0: other than jurisdiction they see something wrong with the payment claim
3: mm-hmm.
0: or if they um, they do send a payment schedule they get to raise only those reasons raised in the payment schedule mm-hmm. then the adjudicator has ten business days to make a decision now the adjudicator can ask for further information and also um, request through the time, but generally 10 business days that decision will be made. And then, if it's not paid in five business days, you can enter it as a or request, a certificate, enter as a judgment, and also the payer gets a QBCC fine for not paying within five business days.
2: Mm-hmm. So, in this case, who is the adjudicator? So, the
0: adjudicator is someone who has been appointed by the QBCC registry for adjudications uh and they are somebody who has 10 years experience in construction Mm -hmm. and has also done an adjudication course
3: Mm
1: -hmm. so it's not necessarily a lawyer or a judge or anything like that
0: no no so there are lawyers who are adjudicators but they're also quantity surveyors engineers they could just be people who have had building Hmm. experience and have decided to become an adjudicator so there's a raft of people, and what the registry trying to do is pick somebody who's
1: got the right experience mm. for your dispute. Yeah, right. So, you know, I'm listening to all of this and uh, thinking, there's a lot of stuff that <laughs> subbies um, and builders that uh, we all need to you know educate ourselves on, so that you know people don't fall foul of the law and end up in strife and getting fined. Um, simply yeah. because they didn't actually go find out about this stuff.
0: Um, Definitely. I suppose that
1: the other thing that I'm thinking is, I, I don't know that enough subbies are actually aware of all of this and I suspect there might be some assumptions that this is like big end of town stuff mm. and doesn't apply to a one-man band um, working for a builder or three. Uh, is that something that you come across, Fiona?
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I often get, um, when I say to subbies, because whenever I meet a subbie, and it, uh, literally we've, we've been having work done to our building, so I literally introduce myself to everyone. <laughs> and say, so, do you know about the BIF Act? I'm sorry to be a pain, but do you know about it? And they'll go, no. Or the, Some of them have even said to me, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Yes. It's just about project bank accounts. Everyone thinks this is about yes. project bank accounts. Yes. That's only about a quarter of the act is about Project Bank
3: Accounts.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, and the really crucial part is really security payment because at the moment, the Project Bank Accounts only relates to government projects between one and 10 million, whereas security payment doesn't affect all of the construction industry, pretty much. Mm. It's, it's um, And because it's mandatory now, a lot of the people that would never have used it are now caught with it. Yeah. And um and as I said before, I mean there is a bit of presumption as well that, you know, the government's come in, it's done its consultation, it's listened to subcontractors, everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> but and you know, if if they if they actually know how to enforce their payments under the Act, um there are they do have so much more power. Mm. But they do actually need to take some responsibility and go, I need to know about this. And yeah. they really, really do, as you can tell from some of the things that I'm saying it's it's imperative that they all know how what to do because this is about saving their businesses. yeah, it could be about also saving their families mm. because we all know that we're talking about small family businesses if mm. something if they don't get paid, they really
3: suffer. Mm.
1: It is one of the big uh, complaints, I guess from uh, from the trades, uh, particularly working for bigger contractors, uh, bigger construction companies. Um, I just want to clarify something. So, you know, I hear this story a bit and I've, and I've heard it from friends of mine, sadly, where they, you know, they, they have an opportunity to do some work for a big um, business, a big construction company, and the terms that are being dictated to them for payment are way longer than what, you know, in my experience would be considered commercially um. Sustainable or reasonable, you know. In some cases, ninety or one hundred and twenty day payment terms. Um, is any of that dealt with in the Act, or is that just purely down to if you don't like the payment terms, then don't do work for that contractor? Actually,
0: it's it's not dealt with in this. It's dealt within the Queensland Building and Construction Commission Act, and uh, it. it States in the Act that payment terms must be 15 business days between a principal, no, or sorry, no more than 15 business days between a principal and a builder, or you know the head contractor.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't have to be a builder, um, or 25 business days for a subcontract. Now then, what this says is it says, well, if your payment terms are longer than 25 business days or longer than 15 business days longer than the ones in the QVCCA, those terms in your contract are actually void. And you have to rely on the default provisions, which are in this, which is 10 business days.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I bet there's a lot of people that don't know that, <laughs> including <laughs> know us.
0: There are a huge amount of people who don't know that.
1: Because it's it's one of the biggest things uh, that I've come across over the years is, mm. um, and, I'm, and I'm not... I'm not pointing the gun at big builders or big contractors because, as you've pointed out as well, Fiona, there's some fantastic companies out there that are doing the right thing, that are working with their their subby trades. And I also hear some pretty horrendous standover tactics really being used um, by big companies Mm. uh, where it's like, well, if you don't like it, we'll find someone else who will.
3: Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I suppose my answer to all of that is, well, if they're going to be like that, you don't want to
1: work for them. No. <laughs> you don't want to, yeah. but in some cases, uh, I think subbies feel like they, they don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, if that's the only work yeah. they've got yeah. on their plate at the moment, they they literally just yeah. swallow it, um, and it's and yeah. it's hard to run a business no, it, like that.
0: It is. It is, and, and then what happens is those those same guys end up coming to me um, a month before the end of the project. They haven't been paid, and that job ends up them money.
3: Yep. And yep. that's
0: always my concern is you've got to pick those jobs that you actually make money out of. Yeah. There's no point doing a job where it's going to cost you money. It's
1: mm. just rubbing salt uh, into the wound, mm-hmm. you know, the payment terms exactly. are long and then Ex- you didn't manage your variations and everything and uh, you end yeah. up working, actually paying the, the company to work for them mm. and not get paid.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I actually wrote an article saying that, you know, it's basically burning your cash flow at both ends. Yeah. yeah. You're paying to work, yeah. Because you're paying for those materials, you're paying for your subcontractors, and you're not getting paid. Yes. And that's just—it's just awful. Mm.
1: So uh, the moral of of the story is: don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: I think the thing is, if you start—if it starts to happen, if you start seeing it, you do something quickly. Yes. Mm. Mm. You've got to do something quickly, and if you're on site, it's perfect. If you have not been paid, you haven't received the payment schedule and you haven't been paid by the due date, you can suspend work. That is the biggest pain in the side of a head contractor that you have. Mm. It's quick, it's efficient, and it causes pain. In fact, you'll probably just send the notice and they will start doing something. Mm.
1: Because chances are, in a lot of these cases, I suspect the, the primaries will know more about the legal side. So, you know... Um,
2: They'll know how to stretch it.
1: Yeah, well, they will, but I, I think you know, as a subcontractor, if you then follow the same mm-hmm. law and you, you educate yourself about the act and what you can do, um, chances are the primary contractor is going to know that as well. So, as you said, Fiona, you know, if you send the, the claim, uh, then they're going to they're going to do something about it because they don't yeah, want you yeah. to walk off site. So, exactly,
0: exactly really important to make sure they do it properly and Mm. and follow the steps but that's exactly right but and often what I say is you know people say oh gosh I'll wreck the relationship if I do I used to be if I put this as a payment claim on my invoices I'm gonna wreck the relationship it's all over I was like actually no they're gonna think you're savvy and they think Mm. gonna think you're onto it that's actually not a bad thing and then when I talk to my friends who are in big building building companies and they used to tell me the funny thing is, if my boss sees a payment claim on an invoice, it gets paid first. Yep. So what just you know, it's kind of like there's this myth in the subby world that it's going to wreck their relationship. Yeah. But the reality is they probably would have got paid first. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yep.
0: So, um, so yes, I definitely think that it's important to, to stand up for your rights and be savvy. And, you know, some of these guys – I remember um, – and you may remember, may not remember some, um, there was um, Matrix and Essex mm-hmm. um, Projects
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, were head contractors that went under a couple of years ago. And I remember reading both of those subcontracts at one stage. And I, um, for one of them, I read the subcontract and went to the client, look, they just don't want to pay you. The way this contract is drafted, it's appalling, they're just not going to want to pay you at mm-hmm. all. It's just revolting. I then knew another client uh, was working, was doing work for one of them. And I called them up and said, Look, I've just got the ceiling. I've read the subcontract. It's awful. I really am concerned you're doing work for this particular builder. Hmm. Um, so I just want you to keep your ear out. And they're like, Oh, no, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Six months later, they called me and said, We've just got notice. they've liquidated. We've got six jobs on the go.
3: Yeah. Oh, is there
0: much we can do? And I went, No, not really. Not anymore. Not now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep. And and that that just goes back for me to the the head in the sand, she'll be right, it'll be okay. And I think I think sometimes tradies just get so far down the track with that that they almost feel like they can't get out of that that cycle or, you know, to to change that is too hard. Um, and like you say, you know, they're fearful of wrecking the relationship. It's like, well, would you rather risk damaging the relationship or risk your own house and your own family's well-being? Because you know someone fell over, that will probably be okay in the long run, and it's the smaller guys that you know that's catastrophic for them to lose ten grand, fifty grand, hundred grand. So
0: yeah, look, I've I've seen those guys that you know um, I've had a couple of guys come to me um, trying to get their licenses back that they've you know five years down the track they're trying to get their licenses back. Um, and what they've gone through, these stories are very similar in that they, you know, they were doing really well and then suddenly guys weren't paying them. Both of them went through the GFC and so it happened for them both during the GFC. They are doing really well, they um, suddenly weren't getting paid. They were trying to pay everyone they could. They weren't paying themselves as well during that time. And then what happens, it all kind of snowballs. The company goes under, then, of course, they had personal guarantees, so mm. they go into bankruptcy. Um, and what happens to those guys is that their marriages definitely crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, their marriages fall apart, they go into incredible depression, as anyone would in the same circumstances. And I would not want that on anyone. No. I really wouldn't, and I suppose that's my driving force. Is I know what's at the bottom of the cliff, mm. I've seen it, um, I've had to, you know, be there for those guys who, um, and try and help them get their licenses back and it's, a, yeah, it's almost impossible now mm. um, to do that. Um, I wouldn't want that on anyone. So th- these guys need to think that, yes, what's more important, you're right, what's more important, being mates and trying to be easygoing in the relationship or your family on the other hand and letting, letting your family down.
1: And they're not mutually exclusive, um, as you said before, you know, just to put payment claim on an invoice means it'll probably get paid and they're not going to think any worse of you. Matter of fact, it'll probably be the other way, um, which yeah, is so yeah. often the case so, with so, so many of these things.
0: So just to um, just to modify that a bit. That was under the old legislation. So we don't need to put payment claim on the invoices anymore. (laughs)
1: It's just an example of that, uh, you know, tightening up what you're doing is not necessarily going to destroy it. So now it's
0: about enforcement because now you kind of get through, you get through the gate on getting your invoices being payment claims pretty much. Mm. So now it's about enforcement and and also knowing which of the invoices that they've sent are actually payment claims because I can guarantee most of you guys are probably sending a couple of invoices a month. You only get one payment claim per reference date. So right. it's important to identify the payment claim mm. and be able to un- enforce it and also make the most of it. So that's a lot about what we talk about the online co- course is kind of making making the most out of that one reference date and making it your gold, mm. your gold one, and all the other ones doesn't don't matter so much.
2: Yep. Fiona, can you tell us a little bit about where our listeners can find your online course?
3: <laughs> you, you'd love Sorry, to. <laughs> 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 you have to ask the I'm techie people. Oh,
0: this is where Riley's really helpful. He remembers all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we'll I, I have Riley. That's why I have Nicole because yeah. yeah. no, <laughs> she I've knows all the important
1: stuff. Yeah. I've got We'll we'll, yeah. uh, we'll throw that up in the yes. show notes anyway um, for um, well, this episode.
0: I think it's, it's subbiesgetpaid.com.au. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. the website. Sorry, I just had cool. to remember what no, it was. All that's okay. good,
1: all good. So uh, as I said, we'll we'll throw up the links uh, in the show notes to that. Um, I I wanted to ask. I know there's been a bit of techie stuff today, and and just to wrap up, I really wanted to ask my favourite question, which is if you had a thousand tradies or subcontractors in a room. What's one piece of advice you would desperately want to leave them with, Fiona?
0: Oh, I would desperately want them to understand the importance of the BIF Act and that it's upon them to enforce. So they need to know, they've got through the starting blocks, they now have payment claims out there, the Act is being triggered, they must understand that they've only got between four and six weeks to do something about
1: it. Yeah, that's a big one.
0: Otherwise, they lose their ability under the Act until the next payment claim, mm-hmm. and they might not have another one. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a good so one. So it's
0: super important that they um, they know that because the the other thing I probably haven't said is although you only get one payment claim per reference date, your contract often will limit how many reference dates you get. So as soon as you finish work. That's it. That's the end. Your, your last one is when you finish and that's it. You don't get any more reference dates. If you get contracts drafted by us, you get way more reference dates. <laughs> um, but um, this is your normal standard ones that other people draft.
1: Yeah, sure. Cool. Well, that's um, that hasn't been as as uh, oh, I'm going to say it Fiona I'm going to be honest it hasn't been as yawn worthy as I think that <laughs> the law could be um, and in actual fact the, the opposite to that I know I've uh, had a few uh, insights today that it's just like holy crap I know there are people out there that don't educate themselves enough about this and that are running a whole bunch of risks um, that don't need to so uh, that's been awesome yeah. thanks so much
0: oh all good you so much for um, asking me to come on to your um, tradies um, podcast it's just been awesome um, and it's been awesome that um, you know hopefully we spread the message yeah. um, that they, they need to find out about the fact. that's
1: what it's all about well thank you for your time Fiona uh, we'll let you go and uh, read some more contracts sounds exciting <laughs> <laughs> very
0: cool very cool Oh, before I go I just wanted to add that um for all of your listeners, we've got 20% off um, our course for the next month from the time that this podcast has been published.
1: Sure. Great. Thank, great. You. Thank you. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Fiona.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Fiona.
1: Well, there you go. Lots of legal jargon, uh, but I, I got a lot out of that. I thought uh, Fiona did a great job of um, explaining the BIF Act and some of the the things that you need to be aware of and especially some of the timings, it, it happens a lot quicker than uh, we might think. So you've got to be organized, more reasons to have your paperwork sorted and uh, your invoices up to date and all of your systems in place. If you've got any challenges with uh, getting those things in place, go hit the, uh, the website, tradiesinbusiness.com.au. There's heaps of templates and scripts and stuff on there that you can get for free, uh, you don't need to be a member of anything. You can just go to the website and steal it all. Or if you jump in the Tradies in Business group on Facebook, you will find almost a thousand other Tradies in Business, as well as Coxie and myself, um, available to answer questions. So if you uh, trip over any of this stuff or you're looking for you know, what someone else has done in their business that's worked you can actually get uh, some really cool help from our community of tradies, which is growing rapidly. We're, we're about to crack the 1,000-member mark, which is really cool, um, especially for a free group and uh, and all very helpful. There's uh, There's been no trolls in there, which is awesome. So anyway, go to the website, tradiesinbusiness.com.au, grab some of the free templates and uh, make sure you find this episode there. Uh, and the links to Fiona's offer will be in the show notes. That's it from was flying solo on the top and tail. I'm still not going to hang any crap on Coxie. I hope the brownie points are stacking up. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, have a fantastic day and we'll speak to you soon.
0: You've been listening to the Tradies and Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradesandbusiness.com.au.